Well, I'm not a big fan of the Hollywood stuff like the Oscars. I know you find that hard to believe since I love musicals so much. But uh, in a few weeks, it's going to be hard to miss that the Oscars are here, right? It's going to be all over the internet, TV, the radio. Uh, and as the media dishes on the uh, event, it's not just about the awards. It's not just about the self-celebration of the Hollywood elite. But they're going to tell us all about the food that they're going to eat. They're going to talk about the clothes that the stars are wearing. Now, as common people, we know that we're not really welcome to walk in and join the party. What they want is for us just to stand on the sidelines, to look and admire. And as we turn in our Bible today to Luke chapter 7 and verse 36, we're going to see something similar to this. Because there's a gathering that's taking place in the home of one of the religious leaders by the name of Simon. As you read through your Bible, you've probably noticed that whenever these gatherings, these meals are taking place, there are a lot of people that are always looking on and watching. And the reason for this is these were not meant to be private uh, affairs. These were a see and be seen event. It's where the locals would line the courtyard walls. They would even come into the house and they would be along the edge and they were there to admire the food, to listen to the learned people who were speaking. Uh, While they were allowed to be in there, they were not to be a part of the event. They were just to sit on the sidelines. And as as we look at the passage today, we're going to see that there, there are those that Uh, normally as they come in, there would be a flurry of activity. If you were an invited guest, the the home, uh, the host of the home would meet you. He would greet you with a hug and a a kiss on the cheeks. They would pour some fragrant oil on your head. There was a servant that would come up with a bowl and towel and they would wash your feet and, and then you would be ushered to your place at the table. And, uh, that's the setting of the story as we look at Luke 7:36 through 39. Read with me, please, in your Bible, in Luke 7:36. It says, Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house, and he reclined at the table. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. And when she learned that Jesus was reclining at the table of the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now on the slide here, what you see is a a picture of a meal I was at in Kazakhstan. And when we read that they're reclining at the table, it's not like the team picture of the Last Supper where you see Jesus with all the disciples, you know, around. This is how they would eat in that culture. You literally reclined at the table. You... And as you did so, you see uh, the the, the mayor of the city there in Kazakhstan, he's playing his his, uh, guitar. When he sets that aside, he's going to lay down and you're like sardines. You can see the other guests to the side. And so... Your, your head is right by the feet of the people. So as you're, you're reading this, and I want you to remember in that day, as you walked into those homes, many of these people were wearing open-toe shoes, sandals, and the streets were dirt, and there were open sewers, and there were animal droppings, and there were all kinds of nice, fragrant things on the road that you would carry into a home. And that would make a meal very appetizing, wouldn't it, if there were unwashed feet, by your head. And so this is one of the reasons that they wash the feet. 
just as well as a sign of hospitality. But as you look at verse 44, Jesus says, I entered your house, yet you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. We see that it's not just this woman who is not a welcome guest in the home. It's Jesus himself. Now, Jesus was invited, but he wasn't there to be the guest of honor. Jesus was there to be the main course of the meal, right? You know from all the other passages we've seen, Jesus is invited to grill him, to trick him, to trap him. But before they get uh, around to, to doing this with Jesus, in walks this woman. Now, we're not told our name in this passage, her name in this passage. And some people will mistakenly identify her as Mary. As you read through the Gospels, you'll see there's another account where there is a woman named Mary in a similar situation. But as you read those, you'll see that that's in the home of Simon the leper. This is in the home of Simon the Pharisee. Uh, this is, this is a, just another broken woman who has come to Christ. And her life is such a wreck that the way she's referred to in verse 37 is she's called a sinner. Now, we're all sinners. But how would you like to go through life with that label? Roger the rebel, Susan the sinner. I mean, how would you like to be known that way? This is this woman in that city. And, and, and I, I want you to imagine the, the courage that it took for her to walk into the home of this religious leader, this pious Pharisee, with everybody knowing she's a sinner. In a moment, we're going to see she's a prostitute. And, and she's well-known in the city. She has a reputation and also uh, by the fact the way that her hair is down around her, her head because uh, women in that day wore their hair up and covered. And if you were a woman and you had your hair loose around your shoulders, it meant you were a prostitute. And so this is this lady who walks into this home. And as you think of the courage it took for her, I know there are some this morning that it probably took a similar amount of courage to walk in the doors of Wayside this morning. There are people here sitting uh, around you who are visitors. They've come for the very first time to Wayside Chapel or out at our, our multi-site at Stone Oak. And as they walked through the doors, there was probably a lot of fear and trepidation this morning as they were getting ready, wondering, what is it going to be like? What are the people going to be like? Are they going to welcome me? For those of you who are in the uh, children's ministry or the student ministry, you, you know what it's like as, as a student to walk into a door with a bunch of uh, strangers and wonder, am, am, am I going to be able to break into a clique if there's one here? There are different multiple schools represented in our church. And so sometimes you're like, well, you know, the, the Churchill kids are over here. The Reagan kids are here. The Greatheart kids are there. The Sachs kids are there. And, and you're wondering who is, who's going to be with what group and am I going to be welcome? There, there are people among us who are longtime waysiders who are, are, are sometimes struggling with coming to church. There's been a change in their family situation. They've lost a loved one through death. There may have been a divorce in their family. And, and while they have friends here, they're wondering, will I still fit into my old friend group? How, how am I going to fit? A single person who becomes married says, I'm, I'm changing demographics. How, how is that going to look? There, there are others that maybe through questions of economics or race, you're saying people here are going to be different than me, and, and how will I fit in? And I raise these issues this morning because I want you to ask yourself a question just for a moment and say, what are you doing personally to make other people feel welcome at Wayside? What are you doing personally to, to help other people who walk through the doors of here 
uh, to feel welcome. As, as we think of this, Jesus isn't asking us in this passage to do anything extraordinary. You know, when he says to the Pharisee, you didn't do these things, they were common courtesies. Giving somebody a kiss on the cheek in that day was like shaking someone's hand or giving a fist bump if you're worried about the flu. Uh, this, th- these were just common courtesies. There, we, we have a time of welcome in our service where we say, turn and greet someone. And, and, and that needs to be more than just a quick hello and passing. You need to make eye contact. Let somebody know, I'm really glad you're here. And it doesn't happen just in the greeting time. It, it happens as you walk on the campus. As you're walking through the parking lot and you see somebody, say hi to them. As you're riding the shuttle bus, if you're coming from one of the satellite lots to, to come to church here, say hi to the people around you on the bus. And, 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 and you can, as you're taking your seat in the sanctuary, say to somebody, hi, how are you doing? And if you're not sure how long they've been here, uh, what I will often do is say, uh, how long have you been at Wayside? Because... As many people as come to our church, sometimes I meet somebody and they go, Pastor, I joined here 10 years ago. Don't you remember me? And so I've learned just to say, how long have you been here? Sometimes it's, I've been here five minutes. Sometimes it's been here, I've been 15 years. And if it's somebody who's brand new, say to them, are there any questions you have about our church? Can I help you find a classroom? Can I tell you about the singles ministry or the student ministry or, or, or the adult Bible fellowships or life groups? If it's somebody who says, I've been here a long time, say, what do you love about Wayside? What are you most excited about that's happening in our church? There, there are ways for us just to reach out. If every one of us did that, the Welcome Center would not just be uh, the place in the foyer where, where guests can come. The whole ch- campus would become a Welcome Center. Now, we see that the home of Simon was not like that for this woman or Jesus. Jesus says, Simon, you you wouldn't wash my feet, but she washed them with her tears. You you wouldn't give me a kiss on the cheek, but she's been kissing my feet. You didn't put common oil on my head, but she's poured out expensive perfume on my feet. Jesus says, you know, the table looks really pretty. Everybody's wearing their their best dress party clothes. The setting is, is beautiful. It's a great show, but you failed to show me love. I wonder how many times we major on the minors. Do we worry about coming to church and, and, and looking great on the outside? Do we, do we focus on uh, the external things, but, but we forget and, and, and miss showing love through our hearts and our actions? Now, this is a question asked not only here at church. It's when, when you get home, when you go to your workplace, when you're in school, when you see a stranger on the street. Yesterday, I was at the uh, Men's Summit. We've got our uh, men's retreat happening this weekend, and I was out at Camp Eagle. And there's about 100 of our men who are out there. And, you know, it's been raining in the hill country, so it's a mud fest out there. And uh, the guys, a lot of them are just wearing their baseball hats. They haven't really combed their hair. They're not shaving. They're wearing, you know, comfortable clothes. I know the wives find that hard to believe that your husbands are, are doing that. But, you know, these guys are just walking around, uh, being themselves and, and being in community and having a great time. And while I was out there among uh, the guys yesterday, I had an opportunity to sit down with several men and talk to them and get to know them a little better myself. And there was one guy in particular that I was talking with, and he said, uh, he said you know, Roger, uh, I didn't want to be here. He said, my wife registered me. She made me come. And that may be more than just his story. But he said, I didn't want to come. And then he started to share some things going on in his life. 
some struggles. And he said, you know, I shared this with my small group this morning, and he talked about it, and he said, I expected these men to kind of push me away. But he said, they got up. They got around me. They put their hands on me, and they prayed for me. And they let me know that I'm welcome. And they started sharing the stuff that's going on in their own lives. You know, friends, we're all broken people. We've all got our, our own messes in our lives. We've all got our own junk. Christians so often shoot the wounded, right? We're, we're good at looking at somebody and saying, well, they don't look like me. They don't act like me. They're not, you know, all put together like, like they need to be. Uh, that is not what God expects from us. That is not what we see happening in this story. In, in walks this woman into a place full of religious leaders and religious people. And sadly, there's no love for this woman, right? They glare at her. They stare at her. They say, how dare you come in here? Not with their words, but with the looks that they're giving her. So you can imagine this lady. She's, she's standing there against the wall. Her, her head is bowed in shame. She begins to cry. Verse 38 tells us, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to, to wet his feet with her tears, and she kept wiping them with the, the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. You can imagine the scene. Remember, she's, she's walked into this home where she's not welcome. Everybody's staring at her. She's on this back wall. She's behind Jesus. And, and as, as she's looking down, weeping, these tears are dropping, and she finally realizes they're landing on his feet. And imagine the horror she felt at that moment. And, and, and she drops to her knees to, to try to clean up the mess, you know. Oh my. And, and, and she doesn't want to take one of the, the you know, nice place-setting napkins off the table. So the only thing she has is her hair that's loose around her. And, and she begins to, to dry his feet with her hair. And, and as, as she's drying his feet, as she's sitting there holding uh, his feet, remember her hair down, everybody's going, that's a prostitute. And, and, and Jesus doesn't pull his feet away. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, you harlot, quit touching me. He, he receives the worship she's giving. And as she's wiping his feet, I wonder if the words of Isaiah 52.7 went through her mind. Words that tell us how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This isn't just a prophet. This is the Messiah. This is the Savior. And as he's there, and as she's kneeling and holding these beautiful feet, it's, it's the feet of those who will forgive her sins. There's, there's nothing sexual going on. We, we read she's kissing his feet. I want you to remember she's a hot mess. Snot is coming out of her nose. Tears are down. Her hair is now covered in the mud of the muck of the road and all that stuff we talked about earlier. I mean, there's nothing erotic about this scene. She is just lost in worship. She's holding the feet of her Savior. This, this is a woman who's used to being walked over by men. She's, she's been used and abused by society. She's there for people's pleasure. And, and here is, is the feet of somebody who doesn't step on her, but it's the feet of somebody who Genesis tells us he will crush the head of the serpent and he will be wounded. This is the feet that will have nails driven through them. And as she's cradling the feet of her Savior, as she's worshiping, as she's lost in, in, in the, the worship of her Savior, she forgets that everybody else is around. And her worship includes a gift. She's, she's wearing a, an alabaster 
vial around her neck. This is a translucent type of stone. It's a very expensive container. And in it is very expensive perfume. It says that she pours out this perfume. She would have really literally kind of dabbed it on his feet because this wasn't like the, the, the Axe body spray stuff that, you know, young men just pour all over themselves. This, this is not men, the cheap stuff you buy at the cosmetic counter, you know, the big bottle. This is that little bottle with the big price. If you've ever picked up that parfum and you're going... Ooh, they're pretty proud of this, right? The Greek word used here is muron. It means an ointment. It's an Aramaic balm. This is, this is the good stuff. And as, as she puts this on his feet, she's, she's not worried about the cost. Worship has been described as sacrificially giving to Jesus something that is precious to us. Sacrificially giving to Jesus something that is precious to us. What would you say that is in your life? Is it your time? Is it your money? Is it your heart and your devotion? What is it that you give to Jesus in worship as thanksgiving? You see, worshiping God isn't just with the words we sing, but it should be with our whole lives. Worship is not just for an hour on Sunday, but it should be all throughout the week in our times of prayer and and worship, personal worship. The Bible tells us when we come to God with our offerings, we should be cheerful givers. The Greek word that is used there for cheerful giving literally means with hilarity and abandonment. It means just just this free form of worship. And as she's holding the feet of Jesus, I talked about this heel that will crush the serpent. Forgiveness has been described as the fragrance that a a violet leaves on the heel of the one that crushes it. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And this is, this is the picture here. And she adds to this, this, this fragrance. Uh, she puts this perfume on. She's been forgiven. She places a fragrant offering on the heel of the one who didn't crush her, but would be crushed on the cross to forgive her. Contextually, if you look through the Gospels, where this passage we're looking at takes place is right after Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, there Jesus had just said to the crowd, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. This woman was probably in the crowd hearing these words from Jesus. And then when she hears he's over in this home, she goes there. Having been forgiven, having accepted who he said he was, she comes to worship the Lord. She was a woman who was trapped in sin. She had been used by others for their selfish pleasure. But she met Jesus who showed her what true love was. The one who was willing to die for her and the one who was willing to die for you and me to set us free from our sins. And as she sheds these grateful tears of repentance, I want you to imagine, what if one of these tears had fallen on Simon the Pharisee or one of his running buddies? What do you think their reaction would have been? They would have shrieked. They would have yanked their feet back. They would have screamed, get out of my house, you harlot. What are you doing here? But we don't see that with Jesus. Now, Simon didn't voice those words, but we see in verse 39 that they were running through his mind. Because verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she's a sinner. 
You see, Simon is thinking, this, this guy's supposed to be a prophet, the Messiah maybe, but he, he can't even see the obvious. I mean, everybody can see this lady's a prostitute. Everybody, even if you didn't live in the town and know, know who she was, she, she's advertising it with her hair, so why can't Jesus see this? Now, Jesus knows who the woman is, and he, he knows who Simon is as well. Before we look at this question that Jesus asks him, I want you to ask yourself a question. Do you know anybody like Simon? Could be that maybe some of us are just like Simon. You know, I think about when I was growing up, when I was a little boy on the playground, and the girls would be out there. And, you know, you kind of stayed away from the girls. They had cooties. And, uh, you know, we'd run around as little boys and go circle, circle, dot, dot. Now I've got my cootie shot. And, you know, you're kind of protecting yourself. From, from, you know, getting contaminated. And, and I wonder how many times we do that as Christians. How many times do we stand off from people so we don't get contaminated? You know, in the Old Testament, lepers had to shout out, unclean, unclean, and people were warned and they would stay away from them. And how many times do we shout that out in our minds, unclean, unclean, and we stay away from others because we don't want to be contaminated? By those sinners. Have we forgotten that we're unclean ourselves? Have we forgotten that we're sinners ourselves? Now hear this clearly. I'm not saying that we should just ignore sin. The Bible tells us we should confront sin. The Bible tells us that we should deal with sin in the life of another's lives. If we've dealt with it in our own life first. Galatians 6.1 tells us, you who are spiritual, restore another in a spirit of gentleness. When we come and confront sin, it's not as the condemning Pharisees who wanted to throw rocks at everybody. It's to come as those who say, I've been forgiven myself and to extend that same grace and mercy and message of hope and healing to other people. Instead of running away, we should be looking for ways to help bring them to God. We, we need to begin to, by praying for God to open our hearts and then praying that God would, would prepare the hearts of the people we're going to talk to to respond to the gospel. And sometimes it means that we, we need to go to where the people are. They're not always going to come through the doors of Wayside. And you have to ask yourself, are you willing to go into the places where some of these sinners are? Now use discretion. If you're an alcoholic struggling with alcoholism, you don't go into the bar where you're going to be tempted yourself. If, if uh, this illustration I'm about to mention, it's women who are going into the topless clubs, not men from our church. They're men who escort our ladies and stay out in the parking lot and are there for security and pray. But we're, we're partnered with a ministry here in San Antonio called Lavish. And Lavish is a ministry that is designed to go into, um, I, I hate this word gentleman's club because it's anything but that. That's what the entertainment industry tries to tell us. These topless bars, we have ladies from our church who go into the topless bars in our city. And it may surprise you to hear this, but they get permission first. They don't just walk in. And over half of the topless bars in our city welcome these women to come in to talk to the dancers. Because they recognize that these are hurting, broken women. And anybody who will love them, a lot of these establishments are welcoming. And so there's a ministry called Lavish. And what they do is they make gifts for these dancers. 
It's not just little, you know, trinket type things. They're, they're thoughtful gifts. It may be hygienic pro- products. It may be a special gift these women don't normally would be able to get for themselves. It may be something of food. They write notes of encouragement. Many of the women here were part of the recent um, event that we had where you packed some of these gifts for, these, for this ministry. And they will go into the dressing rooms before the, the establishment kind of opens up. And they'll go in and they'll sit down with these ladies and they'll give them a gift. And they'll give them notes of encouragement. They'll even post notes on their mirrors. And they will talk to them. And they refer to these women as pearls because they're treasures, not the trash of society that they're taught to think of themselves. And along with that moment of of talking to them and praying and giving gifts, they invite them to an event. Twice a month there will be an event in a secret location here in our city, and, and that's because of security purposes. And those dancers come there, and that's where they're able to be discipled and helped. And, and they try to help these women get out of that, that industry and into other jobs so that they can take care of themselves and their families. This is just one of the many ways the people I know here at Wayside are involved in reaching out with the love to ladies like the one in our passage, this prostitute, ladies in our city who are, are stuck in the, the sex trafficking trade of various you know, versions here in our city. There are ladies like this sitting among you here at Wayside. I look out and I see the stories of people that I know who are here, and and I love to see you here. So if you're somebody who feels broken and unworthy to be here, you are welcome. You're welcome among all the other lepers who are here, myself included, the pastor in the pulpit. And so as we look at a passage like this, Jesus wanted this woman to know you, you are created in the image of God. You are valuable. You are a fallen person who needs to find the grace that God offers. And you know, Simon and the Pharisees in our passage were just as much in need of God and his great grace as this prostitute, but they were blinded by their own self-righteousness. Jesus wants Simon to understand that he too needs to accept that gift of grace, which is why we see in verse 40, It says, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, oh, say it, teacher. I mean, remember, this is the guy who's thinking in his mind, if Jesus, this great prophet, were really who he says he is, well, then he would be able to tell who this woman is. It says Jesus answered him. Simon never spoke it. Can you imagine the shock of Simon when Jesus is about to say, I know exactly what you're thinking. Let me tell you what you're thinking. So Jesus says in verses 41 through 44, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Newsflash, he hasn't stopped looking at her since she walked in the house. Is she going to steal some of my stuff? What's this harlot doing here? He's been looking at her the whole time. But Jesus says, I want you to look beyond the externals. I want you to see this woman. You know, 1 Samuel 16, 7 tells us, God does not see as man sees. Man looks at the externals, but God looks at the heart. And Jesus was looking at the heart. And he saw the heart of a woman who had had come to him for forgiveness. And he saw the heart of a religious leader who was self-righteous and said, I don't need your forgiveness. 
Jesus not only read Simon's thoughts, but he also saw his heart. So he gives this parable to help Simon see he was just like this woman. A denarius was the, the pay that a person in that day received, a common laborer, a street soldier. It was what most people made in that day. So 50 denarius was about two months' worth of wages. And then the other amount, 10 times that amount, would have been about two years' worth of debt. And as you think in terms of that debt load, you can say, well, the one person could work off two months of wages. But remember in that culture, there was something called a debtor's prison. And when you owed a debt that you couldn't repay, you were thrown into jail where you could never again work. So it became essentially a life sentence. You couldn't work it off, whether it was a couple months or whether it was a couple years. And what Jesus is saying is you're both in the same situation. You're both in a a situation where you're going to be separated, not just from society, but from God for all eternity. The Bible says when we go to a place of punishment called hell for, for failing to receive God's gift of forgiveness, we are separated from God for all eternity. And Jesus wants Simon to see, you may think you owe just a little, but you're just as lost as the worst sinner you can think of. Romans 3.23 tells us for all, that's all, inclusive me, you, everybody, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because we're sinners, we have a huge problem. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. We're separated from God. What we've earned by how we live our life is eternal separation from God. But here's the good news. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus says, I came and I paid that penalty of death. I paid what you owed for both this woman and you, Simon. But God, in his grace, as he offers this forgiveness, it has to be received. As we're reading about this woman here, I want you to make sure you understand this is not teaching she earned her way to God by doing these good things. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us, For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works. When, when we read here in Luke 7.47 where he says, For this reason I say to you, her sins which are many have been forgiven, for she loved much, but, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. When Jesus says, for this reason, it's the Greek word hati. And this is in what is called a result clause. A little Greek grammar lesson here for you. A result clause is different than a causal clause. A causal clause says that her works would have caused her to be saved. But what Jesus is saying is because she was saved, as a result of this, she did her works. Have you ever seen a fire? Maybe one off in a distance? And maybe you didn't see the flame, but you could see the smoke that was rising. And as you saw the smoke, you knew there was fire. The smoke was a result of the fire. It didn't cause the fire. And that's what we're seeing here. Her works that are acts of worship are a result of her knowing she's been forgiven by Jesus. Jesus will make abundantly clear, he says at the end of this passage, her faith has saved her, not her works, right? So this woman never spoke a word, but her actions spoke loudly. Just as Simon never spoke a word in terms of questioning, but his actions showed his lack of love. There's a story told uh, of a king, a Prussian king in the 18th century. His name was King Frederick II. And one day he was touring a prison. And as he's walking through the prison, all the inmates are running up to the, the bars of their cell and they're, they're shouting out, Your Majesty, Your Majesty, I'm an innocent man. I'm here, you know, I'm, I'm not guilty. I need to be released. 
And, and cell after cell, everybody was, you know, just running up and telling the king that they were innocent. Well, as the king passes this one particular cell, he notices the inmate's not at the bars yelling. In fact, he's sitting over in a corner, just quiet. And the king looks in and he says to the guard, is this man okay? He says, oh, he's fine. And he says, bring him out. So the, the prisoner is brought out to the king and, and uh, he says to the man, he says, why, why are you here in jail? He says, because I committed a crime. He says, what did you do? He said, armed robbery, your majesty. He said, you're not innocent. You weren't unjustly accused. You didn't, uh, you know, didn't have a fair uh, hearing. He says, no, your majesty. I, I committed the crime and I deserve my punishment. And, and the king turns to the guard and he says, release this man at once. I don't want this guilty man corrupting all these innocent people in this prison. <laughs> This woman in our passage found forgiveness because she came to Christ as a sinner. And God offers us that same forgiveness. Romans 10.9 says, if, that's if you do this. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We're saying, Jesus, I believe you're who you said you are, the Son of God who came to the earth. You went to a cross to die as the payment for my sins. And I believe that you conquered sin and death because you rose from the grave three days later showing you're who you said you are. And the Bible says, if we accept that, that we are a sinner, we're in need of a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior, it says you will be saved. Verses 48 through 49 tell us, And Jesus said to her, Your sins have been forgiven. Now look at the response of the others. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? Suddenly they're no longer looking at the woman. The the focus is back on Jesus. This this is just like what happened in Luke chapter 5. Do you remember there in Luke 5 when we saw how Jesus healed the paralytic? And as Jesus said in Luke 5.21, uh, that his sins were forgiven, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began reasoning, saying, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I want you to imagine that the person sitting next to you uh, suddenly hauls off and hits you. That's, don't do it. Just uh, When it was dark in the first service, I was worried somebody would take that as their opportunity. But... So imagine the person next to you hits you. You fall to the ground. You're like, ow, I've got a welt. What would you do? And I see it happening. I come walking up. And, and I, I look at you on the floor. And I look at the person who hits you. And I say to the person who hits you, you're forgiven. And you're sitting there on the floor going, what business do you have to tell them they're forgiven? They hit me. You see, for forgiveness to mean anything, it has to be given by the one who is wronged, right? And when we sin, who do we wrong? God. And Jesus, by doing this, is saying, I am God. I have a right to forgive the sins. I am the one who has been wronged. And I know we live in a world where you are around people who will tell you, well, you can't be forgiven for your sins. Well, there are little sins that can be forgiven, but that's a big sin. If you do this or that, or, and, and we put together our list, right? There's the top ten called the Ten Commandments. We've got our nasty nine. We have our, you know, we have our list. And we say, these are the things that God can't forgive. 1 John 1, nine says, if, again, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous to do what? Forgive us of all unrighteousness. God says, I have 
died to pay the penalty of death, I can cancel every debt that is there. If you're sitting here thinking, well, God, God could never love me. Roger, you don't know how bad my story is. I know Romans 5.8, and it says, God demonstrates his own love toward us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died to pay the penalty of all our sins. It just requires us seeing our need and coming to him. The only way to stay a prisoner to our sins is by not confessing them, by not receiving the forgiveness that Jesus offers to us. Richard Hoffler tells a story about a a little boy and girl who were at his grandparents and her grandparents' farm. And when they went there, Grandpa gave the little boy his first slingshot. And he said, okay, now this, this thing can be dangerous, so I don't want you playing with it around the house or in the house. You can go out in the woods and shoot rocks at things, but not anywhere else. The little boy took his slingshot. He went into the woods. He was there all day uh, practicing, and, and he, couldn't, he couldn't hit anything he was shooting at. And so he knew it was about time for, for supper, and he was coming back to the house. And as he was doing so, walking through the farmyard, um, Grandma's duck waddled by. And on impulse, yeah, you know where this is going, he, he whips out his slingshot and he takes aim, not expecting to hit the duck. Well, it's a bullseye, and he hits the duck, and the duck falls dead right there. Now the boy panics. He's desperate. What's he going to do? He runs over, he grabs Grandma's duck, and there's a wood pile there, and he, he shoves it in the wood pile and piles some logs on it. And as he turns around, his sister Sally's standing right there. Yeah, you've got sisters like this, right? (laughs) Sally doesn't say a word. She just looks at him, little Johnny, and walks away. Well, they have dinner. Dinner's over, and Grandma says uh, to the little girl, uh, Sally, you need to come in the kitchen and help me with the dishes. And uh, she looks over at Johnny and whispers to him, remember the duck. And then she says, oh, Grandma, Johnny said he wants to do the dishes. So Johnny gets up and goes and does the dishes. Well, the next day, Grandpa says, hey, kids, let's go fishing. And Grandma says, oh, no, no, Sally can't go fishing. I need her to help me uh, peel potatoes. And uh, Sally says, oh, it's all taken care of, Grandma. Johnny wants to peel the potatoes. Remember the duck, Johnny. So Sally goes fishing, and Johnny goes and does her chores. Well, this goes on for days. Johnny's doing his jobs and her jobs, and finally he can't take it anymore, and he goes to his grandmother. And he says, Grandma, I, I'm so sorry. He said, I disobeyed, and I, I shot your duck, and I killed it, and, I, and, and I'm sorry. And, and she grabs him and hugs him and says, Johnny, Johnny, I was standing at the window when you did it. I saw the whole thing. <laughs> and she said, I love you. I've forgiven you. I was just wondering how long it would take for you to confess it so Sally wouldn't keep making you a slave. God offers us that same release and forgiveness. He tells us that if we will come to him, if we will confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins. This woman was trapped in her sin. As much as what she thought of herself because of it, as much as the judgment of others. But by coming to Jesus, she found forgiveness. Jesus tells the woman in verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
Our enemy, Satan, wants us to believe because of the mistakes we've made in our life that God is done with us. He doesn't want anything to do with us. But God has already answered that question at the cross, friends. He told us, I demonstrated my love for you while you were at your worst, while you were a sinner, while you were in rebellion, while you were far from me, shaking your fist at me. He says, I died for you. I love you just like you are. And I will take you like you are. Now, he loves us too much to leave us like we are. Once we come to faith, he wants us to grow in our relationship and grow into that, that, that status we have as sons and daughters of God. Jesus didn't leave this woman groveling at his feet. He sends her away in peace, telling her she is free from the burdens of her past sin. And friends, God offers you that same offer of forgiveness and freedom today. There's a famous psychiatrist by the name of Carl Menninger. And he once said if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospital that their sins are forgiven, 75% of them would be able to walk out of the hospital. Are you in prison this morning because of your past? Are you here replaying the tapes in your mind of the mistakes you've made? Have you been listening to the things of the world and our enemy Satan who's called the father of lies, that God could never love you, that he wants nothing to do with you? 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to take a moment now to think about your life. We're going to go to God and talk to him in prayer in a moment. The orchestra and... Uh, musicians are going to come to prepare to lead us in our closing song. And as they're coming, I want you to consider the things of your past. I want you just to bow your heads where you are, and I want you to think about your past and any sins you need to confess to the Lord. And I'll lead us in prayer in a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, as we come to you this morning, confessing our sins, they're they're not surprises to you. You're like Grandma who was standing at the window and, and saw everything. Lord, you know everything about us. Our flaws, our failures, the mistakes we've made, and you've never stopped loving us. You demonstrated your love in that while we were yet sinners, you, Jesus, died for us. And you offer that gift of forgiveness. You tell us if we will confess that you are who you said you are. The son of God. The promised Messiah. The one who came to save us. Then we will be saved. And I pray, Father, if there's anyone here this morning who's not yet come to you because they felt unworthy. If there's anyone here who thought they had to get their life right before they could come to you they accept your free gift of new and eternal life today? Would they turn from their sin into you as their Savior and receive the forgiveness that you offer? And Father, for all of us who are already believers, there are times we've made mistakes since professing our faith in you, since coming to you. 
And Lord, there are times that it's not just sins of commission, but also of omission. Times that we've not loved as we should. Would we, Father, confess those sins to you? Would we hit the reset button, restore our relationship, and ask for your strength and help to begin walking with you again? Father, as those who have been forgiven by you, would you help us to show that same grace and love to others? Would we be messengers of your grace, communicating to others that your mercy and grace is available to them? Lord God, thank you for loving us, even when we were unlovable. May we do the same. We pray this in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ.